So there is intricate tie between menstruation and education. In developed nations, in our first world country, it's kind of hard for us to imagine just how much impact a period can have on one girl and her education. It's not something that we usually deal with. We have the products that we need. But in developing nations, it's astounding how many girls drop out of school as soon as they hit puberty. And in fact, it was one of the primary reasons I decided to start SALT, looking at my five daughters and thinking, wow, what would I do if their education was limited by something as basic to the human condition as a period? And yet this is the reality for hundreds and thousands of girls overseas. Hi, everyone. This is Margie Chuang, and welcome to Moms Who Build, a podcast about moms who build things that bring them joy. I learn about what inspires moms to start their own journeys, what keeps them motivated, and what it's really like to build things while being a parent. This episode features Sheree Hager. Sheree is the CEO and co-founder of SALT, a company aiming to modernize reusable period care. In 2018, SALT launched its flagship product, the SALT Period Cup with the vision of making cleaner, more sustainable period care accessible to everyone. Leading SALT's social impact efforts, Sheree began networking with impact partners to provide their period cups to underprivileged girls and women so they could confidently manage their periods, stay in school, and lift themselves out of poverty. Now in their third year in business, SALT has donated over 12,000 cups in over 22 countries to create a wave of informed cup users who then act as mentors for other donation recipients. Before starting SALT, Cherie had been an entrepreneur in multiple e-commerce ventures and worked as a technical writer with 15 years of publication experience. Most recently, she co-authored seven editions of collegiate textbooks in the field of fitness and wellness. Cherie is a mother of five daughters and considers them her greatest success. Without further ado, please enjoy this inspiring conversation with Cherie Hager. Cherie, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so exciting to have you here. How are you doing today? Doing wonderful. It's a beautiful day here. So I'd love to start by asking you what inspired you to start your company, SALT, and can you tell us a little bit more about it? Love to. So we're a period care company that launched in 2018, and our aim is to make and modernize reusable period care for the mainstream consumer. The way that we got this spark for SALT, I had a conversation with an aunt in Venezuela And if you know about the situation in Venezuela, it is very dire. They can't get groceries, you know, food for babies or diapers, let alone things like pads and tampons. So I was having this conversation with this aunt, hearing her situation, and I thought of my five daughters and thought, what would I do in that situation? And that's what got me interested in reusables. And I started researching to see what was out there. And that's how I was introduced to the menstrual cup. I'd never heard of it before and thought, oh my goodness, why had I not heard of this my whole life? I bought several to try out and was sold immediately on the benefits. The fact that it was sustainable, that it was reusable for up to 10 years, that it reduced massive amounts of waste that was clean and non-toxic. And I just thought, why don't more people know about this? So I started thinking of what would be a custom cup that would work best with my anatomy and kind of took the idea from there. That's a great story. It's something that you need. And I love that you just took it head on, talked to your aunt and then started working on it. And it's actually interesting that you said, you know, where has this been all my life? Because I actually found out about the period cup a few years ago from my husband. And it was just crazy to me that there's a product out there that existed for women 
with something that they go through naturally every month. And yet I had not heard about this and learned about it through my husband. (laughs) And let me know if this is true, but I read in an article that your husband actually helped you kind of think about the design and what to make of the cup and being a dad to five, five girls, like you mentioned, I'm curious, did he have any musts for the design, like the comfort or what have you? That's a great question. So yes, I did rope my husband into helping us create the design of the salt cup. And uh, he was there with the 3D CAD and we would make little design iterations. We ended up going through 14 iterations. The reason why is because when you're designing menstrual cups, um, you literally have to have it etched in a steel mold to create the silicone mold. And that mold costs $20,000 of an investment. So if you get it wrong, then you're on to the next mold. (laughs) It's not something that you can change. So we did, we were very deliberate about how we created this cup. And the design that we wanted was one that would work well for the mainstream consumer, right? So for beginners. And what we found is there was a lot of cups out there that maybe were a little bit softer silicone. They don't open up as well inside of you. So you actually want a firmer cup especially as a beginner, so that it opens up nicely. And we also wanted a bulb-shaped design. We wanted to improve the stem. A lot of menstrual cup users would cut off the stems of their cups because they would say, oh, you know, the grip rings kind of irritate. And we thought, well, why don't we create a cup that doesn't irritate? Why don't we create a stem that's soft and flexible that can be used and not have to be cut off? So that was one of our big design iterations. And there are others, you know, there's not a lot of quality U.S. made cups on the market at the time that we launched. And we wanted one that was not only made in the USA, but from an ISO certified facility that was FDA approved. We just wanted it to be an extremely high quality cup in a market that was proliferated with a lot of cups that come overseas, sometimes with silicone fillers. So there was a lot of deliverance that we had as we designed it. And he is probably the most passionate man, you know, uh, when it comes to menstruation and menstrual cups. And you're right, we did want to create something that would be wonderful for not only our friends and family and our family in Venezuela, but also our daughters today. Yeah. And for anyone who hasn't tried a menstrual cup yet, what Cherie is mentioning about the easy to open, easy to take out, even just the softness of it, it actually really does make a difference, especially when you try a variety of cups. I am a salts user and you came out with a soft cup recently and it actually did make a really big difference, at least for me and my anatomy. So everyone's anatomy is different, but the ability to have, you know, just like the thought process that you went through to to think about how comfortable will this be for women to use for 12 hours at a time is very important. So it's not just about making it, it's really about the user experience. And it does make a difference because you're going to be wearing the cup for about a week, you know? Yes. (laughs) And so- To touch on your point about how the market at this point does have a number of other menstrual cups, did you talk about what you wanted to do with your family and friends and the market that you were thinking about getting into with the menstrual cup? Yes, absolutely. So I have emails from probably seven years ago trying to convince my friends and family to use a cup. I was a cup convert very quickly. Did you know that they were made in the 1930s, the first patented cup? was patented by an actress in the 1930s. So it's literally been over 80 years that the cup hasn't been known. And when we first started, we knew that we'd be up against a lot of stigmas, right? There's a lot of stigmas in this category. And I definitely heard those stigmas as I try to convince people about the cup. The fact that it was for hippies or that, you know, oh, that's not something I really want to talk about because this is a product that is dealing with my personal hygiene. And realize on a massive scale, there were a lot of conversations and taboos to break. We knew we were entering this product category that's still very taboo for a lot of people. 
So I'll get into a little bit of what we did. We created a great focus group where we talked about the cups, but if you want to hear about how we created our brand, we very deliberately wanted to elevate the cups to sit on the same shelves as personal care and as clean, toxin-free products. So in order to do that, we knew that we had to tackle that taboo. But we also saw it as not only a challenge, but one of our greatest opportunities. Anytime there's a stigma, there's an opportunity to change that stigma and to change the market and to change the consumer mindset around it. So we created this beautiful high-end package that showcased the cup for what it really was. It opened like a high-end lipstick, very beautiful branding that focused on natural tones and more of a natural vibe that dealt with the landscapes of the earth because we wanted the mainstream consumer to have an experience that felt natural and sustainable. Not only did we put that into our branding and our packaging, but also our voice and how we presented our products. We wanted it to be familiar, but also very elevated. Yeah, I actually came across, I think it's Graphical House in Scotland that you use for your branding. And they had written all about salt and how proud they are to be part of the salt process. But they're in Scotland. How did how, how, did that, how did that work out? Well, like any entrepreneur, you go through a lot of different iterations for branding design also. So we had had two different designs and even names for our brand. And it was actually my sister-in-law, Amber, who helped co-found the business, who came up with the name Salt to reflect something that's essential for our bodies and simple. We thought it was a beautiful name, one syllable that could be trademarked. But we kind of scoured the internet to find the perfect brand partner and I remember we got bids in the ranges from like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to like over six figures for just branding and packaging and logo. But we wanted to find a partner that was going to do it right and have this elevated look and feel. So we did a lot of searching to find that right partner and Graphical House was it. And of course, once we found out they're in Scotland, we had to go visit. We went and did a personal visit. We actually drove from London all the way up to Scotland through the gorgeous English countryside to go visit. And um, they've been our partners ever since with every product that we've come out with. And they are fantastic. There's, we can't say enough good about them. I've never created a product before. And so the things you say about having the natural feel of it from the name to the packaging, to the messaging that you put out, it's amazing that you can see that when you open a product and it takes that thoughtfulness from everyone. And so that's a great story about how to take a little bit more time to find who you want to help promote your product. Salt has accomplished an impressive amount and an inspiring amount in just two short years. And I was wondering if I could kind of list some of the milestones and let me know if any of them have incorrect dates and then have you tell a little bit of the stories behind these milestones. Would that be okay? Yes, let's do it. Okay. So as you mentioned, you talked to your aunt in Venezuela. You started working on this idea to create a period cup. Then in February 2018, the Salt Cup actually launches. June 2018, in partnership with Her International and Period.org, Salt funded 10 scholarships and donated over a thousand cups to marginalized women in Nepal and Canada. September 1st, 2018, you launched the Back to School for Her To campaign. April 9th, 2019, Salt went mainstream and launched in Target nationwide. 
on the end caps, by the way. So not just down an aisle. And then April 22nd, 2019, this is Earth Day. Salt put the world's largest period cup on Venice Beach. And for listeners out there, I will put a link in the show notes because you just have to see the pictures and the videos that this impact made on people who were riding by on bikes and just walking through and thought, what is this? And then in June 2019, SALT became B Corp certified. So those are just like a few of the milestones in that first year. Because it is back to school time, could you talk a little bit more about the Back to School for Her 2 campaign? Yes. So there is intricate tie between menstruation and education. In developed nations, in our first world country, it's kind of hard for us to imagine just how much impact a period can have on one girl and her education. It's not something that we usually deal with. We have the products that we need, but in developing nations, it's astounding how many girls drop out of school as soon as they hit puberty. And in fact, it was one of the primary reasons I decided to start SALT, looking at my five daughters and thinking, wow, what would I do if their education was limited by something as basic to the human condition as a period? And yet this is the reality for hundreds and thousands of girls overseas. As soon as they hit puberty, they have this issue of not having access to good and hygienic and safe menstrual supplies. And because of that, they start to get behind in school and eventually drop out. And so we realized that there was so much power that one period cup could have to literally keep girls in school, break cycles of poverty, help their confidence, help them become young women and mothers who could provide for their families. And because of that, we started this Back to School for Her Too campaign. And the premise is that when we are going back to school, we also want to provide period care to get girls in developing nations back to school and those students back to school. And we do that through menstrual products. So it is an impact campaign. We're B Corp and we give 2% back to impact initiatives. And one of them is education. So we fund 30 scholarships for the 30 days in September. And then we also provide 30 cups for a classroom of school girls for every day in September for a total of 900 cups. And it's just been one of those fun initiatives that we started to try to get the word out at a time when, when school's on the mind. And I think it's been very successful. That's amazing. And even during this global pandemic, are you still part of this uh, back to school for her to campaign? Yes, we'll absolutely keep it going. We've always had wonderful influencers who have supported that campaign. You know, even if people are going back to school virtually, or if they are in developing nations, if they're, you know, doing social distance school, the cup is just integral to keeping girls out of those cycles of poverty. That's fantastic. Again, so, so inspiring. And then we'll talk a little bit actually a lot more about the SALT social impact and mission. I wanted to move to real quick, what was the process like for you to get the SALT cup into targets? I have no idea what that process is like. <laughs> that, that is a great, yeah, that is a great story. Target is just literally a dream retailer of ours. So when we were creating our branding, we always said we want this to be target worthy. And like I said, we went through two different packaging iterations and we kept saying, is this target worthy? Can it sit on target shelves? And we didn't stop until we made it such that we thought that it could sit on those shelves. Back in, I think it was must have been 2017, we went to a conference in Miami. It's called ECRM. And it's basically speed dating for retailers and for brand partners. So we went and met with retail buyers 
And we had these 20 minute to, you know, 10 minute to 20 minute conversations with them um, over the course of two days. So it was like 26 different retailers. And it was just one after the other. And you're just pitching, right? And your pitch gets better and better each time because you're just pitching over and over again. So it was really great practice. And my husband and I went to Miami and we had a scheduled meeting for 20 minutes with a target buyer. You can imagine how nervous we were when she was coming up and she was this beautiful Nigerian woman. And we had some good conversations, but a lot of the conversations we had before were with kind of outdated, a little bit more old school retail and grocery chains. And so when this target buyer came, we didn't know how she would react to a menstrual cup. And we were so excited to see that she was so progressive. She said, oh yes, menstrual cups. I've been passing these around to all of my office. This is definitely part of Target's strategy. And we know that it's reusable, more sustainable. This is what our customers want. And she took a look at our packaging and she gave us all sorts of uh, great insight and recommendations for how to make it more shelf ready and what we could do to make our sizing better and what we could do to make a little bit more differentiation between our colors. And she had such, such great insight. And then I... Kid you not, she took a look at it and she said, you know, I have looked at a lot of cups, but I think that your brand is best positioned to take this cup mainstream. And I just wanted to die. <laughs> I want to pinch myself because this is what we've been seeing all along. We want this to be target worthy. We want to take this cup mainstream. And it's like she repeated those same words that we'd said internally right to us during that. And I think that we might've frightened her a little because we got, my husband and I got so excited when she said that. And she had a scheduled time to go to Minnesota to Target headquarters, which was an incredible experience in itself. We had a 20 minute meeting there. And in that meeting, she asked for exclusivity to our cup to launch in Target shelves. So for the first year, of our launch, we were exclusive to Target only, and they were an incredible brand partner. She is the one who pushed us to get into end caps and to also do all, all the marketing initiatives that got us successful, and it really launched us and is the primary reason that we are at where we're at today. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. We're recording on video right now. I can see you reliving <laughs> that moment. Did you end up going to Target when it launched and seeing your cup at the end caps? Of course. Yes, I went and I went and took lots of pictures. Everyone in our team took pictures and we encouraged all of our influencers who followed us at the time to take pictures because we launched in Target a year after we launched the cup and it really is what catapulted us. So we launched in 2019. Do you remember the first time you received a salt cup order that wasn't from a family member or someone you knew? Do you remember that day that you received that order and how you felt? Yes. <laughs> that, that takes us into our focus group. So one of the best decisions that we made when we launched is we had a focus group. Um, actually, it was before we launched, before we even had our first prototype. So we just had our cup design and we started a focus group of what we hope to get to as a thousand members. And the reason why is because we had read that if you can get a thousand members who would resonate with your brand and your movement, then you could create a movement for your brand and you knew you had something. So I remember we would do lunches all around our state and in neighboring states where we would ask people to come with their laptops and we'd say, we'll give you free lunch. All we want you to do is invite friends and family to come join this focus group. And in this focus group, we want to ask you all sorts of questions. What do you think about this cup design? What about this logo? What about these colors? What about this coffee? What resonates with you? So it was very much a collaboration with those who wanted to see our product get to shelves. And it was one of the best decisions we made because once we had those thousand members of this private focus group, then we gifted them all a cup 
And we asked them when we launched to showcase and film their unboxing experience so that they could share it with the world. And that was our launch pad. We had gifted all of these thousand cups to people. And, you know, by this point, you have like your house mortgage and you have all your money into this thing and you just want to see it actually be successful. And I do remember when that first order that was not one from the focus group came right online to our website, came in and we were just floored. Somebody was interested in it, in our branding they were interested in our cup. And then I remember they gave us a customer service message a few weeks later telling us just how successful it was for them and how much they loved it. I'll never forget all of those initial messages. You are so nervous when you put your product out there for the first time and you're not sure how people will respond. And it seems like it's a roller coaster of emotions. If you have just the slight negative response, you're like, oh my gosh, I hope this makes it. And then you get these life-changing responses and it just floors you and motivates you to keep going. So those first customer orders and inquiries are the best ones. Let's talk about the SALT community a little bit more. You have a thing called the SALT Cup Academy, and there's also a hashtag that's called Pass the SALT. You even have members who, like you said, believe in SALT's mission, SALT's social impact, so much so that they actually reach out to you to get bulk orders and put the cups into their suitcase to go on their their own charity mission. Is that something that continues to happen today? Yes, um, happened more when we first launched, but definitely we get those charity inquiries all the time. And that past assault hashtag actually came as a result of our focus group. We asked them what hashtags they liked. And one was, I remember like, get salty. I don't remember <laughs> the others, but someone suggested past assault. And we just said, that's brilliant. Let's use that one. So that was one of our tactics, but we do, we have um, such great salt ambassadors that just want to share the cup with the world. And so we've had so many people who have said, I would love to teach about cups on this charity mission that I'm going to, or um, I'm going to go travel to this area. I know you have a partner there. I can take these cups for free to save you money. And it's just been incredible to see. And I think that it's just evidence to the incredible community we have as women and menstruators and how we want to help each other and improve the lives of everyone. Absolutely. For those who are starting their companies to build a community behind your product or your service, you went from you know doing the focus group, again, being very thoughtful in every step of the way, and then getting kind of your, your early adopters. Then afterward, did the community continue to organically grow without the SALT team, I guess, needing to come in and say things on behalf of SALT? Yes, that's actually absolutely accurate. So from our focus group, we started getting a lot of customer service inquiries like, okay, how do we do this troubleshooting with the cup? Or what happens if my cup is leaking? Or what about sizing? And we realized that it started becoming this customer service platform. From the focus group, we decided to create the Salt Cup Academy that would be open to, to the public, whereas the focus group was limited in its members. And once we created the Salt Cup Academy, it started taking a life of its own. And at first, it was our Salt employees who were answering all of the questions. And then something magical started happening. And that's that the people in the community started answering each other's questions. And as a business owner, not only was it magical just because of how eager people were to help each other, but as a small startup, you just don't have the funds to create this massive customer service team. In fact, it was one of our biggest trepidations in starting the company is, oh my goodness, there's a learning curve to the cup. There's going to be so many questions. So the Salt Cup Academy and that community that we built 
was one of our biggest strengths and assets early on when it came to customer service. So even now, we don't have to have as large of a customer service team as you would think would require for this type of an intimate personal product because we have a community who is all there to help each other. That's fantastic. Beyond the business perspective, I think just women coming together and allies of women coming together to help each other out. It's such a great thing. For your charitable partners or the retail companies that you partner with, whichever one you want to speak to first, how do you go about choosing who to partner with, Sheree, and where to partner with them as in like the location? Because with the Her International, there's a map. Yes, on our impact page. Yeah, where it's it's everywhere. And so how do you choose which companies to partner with and then where you'll end up setting up SALT education? Yes, that's a great question. So a lot of it has been very deliberate and other partners have come to us. And I'll tell you the story of our first partner, Her International. We were put in touch by a mutual friend. So they knew of SALT on Facebook and Her International focused mostly on girls' education. They focus in a region of Nepal among the Taru people that are in this southwestern region. These people have been underprivileged for a long time, and they were notoriously sold into bonded labor. Oftentimes, they would sell their daughters as young as six years old into lives of bonded labor for as little as $100 a year. And this founder of Her International, when she saw that in Nepal, she said, oh my goodness, I could pay off these contracts for these girls and instead give them an education. And she started fundraising in her home country of Canada and she was buying these contracts. She was giving uh, not only an education to these young girls, but also helping their mothers learn life skills and entrepreneurship so that they could provide for their families without relying on the income of their young daughters. And so she was really taking this whole holistic view to have a permanent solution of what to do for this culture. And when I was put in touch with them, I was absolutely inspired by what they were doing for these women in Nepal. But I knew that menstrual cups could make a huge difference in helping with their educational programs because in Nepal, and this is true for all of our partners, we look for areas with the most need, especially when it comes to menstruation. There's a lot of taboos and stigmas and just cultural barriers for women who are menstruating. So having something like the cup could really make massive impact for those women there. And we've seen that. We offered to support their program with educational funding. So we funded scholarships. And then we also started donating cups. We called them at first pilot programs because we would work with these partners and we'd say, let's see how the cup is adopted in this country and in this culture. And we've been surprised to see it successful in everywhere that we've tried these pilot programs. So some have been deliberate, some where we've reached out to them and some have come to us and we said, okay, let's give you a small amount of cups first. Let's see how it's adopted by just your staff and some of your core people. And then once you have a good network of mentors who can then teach the next generation of those cup users, then that's a program. And it's been a very successful way that we have been able to distribute our cups with the education and mentoring necessary to be successful. And we continue that today. So we've just extended that program little by little, and we've now donated over 12,000 cups in 27 countries. Not all of them are long-term partners. Some of them were, you know, just charity trips, but we have many of them as partners and we continue to provide them cups throughout the year. So for these girls and these women who suddenly someone brings over this magical cup and says like, you can use this. You don't have to change it out for 12 hours. You can go to school now. 
and you can come back and wash the cup as you would, you know, before it was also, well, how do we create a cup where you don't need to have water necessarily like all day for to clean it, right? So now you have 12 hours to go do what you need to do. What was the reception from these girls and these women like when you presented them? I, I don't know if you had firsthand experience presenting the cup to them, but could you talk about that experience? Yes. So just two months after, actually, it was the same month that we launched. We thought we were a little crazy leaving to Nepal right after we launched online <laughs> for the first time. But I took my husband and my three oldest daughters to Nepal to go visit this organization to be able to teach firsthand. And each country has their own cultural stigmas and taboos. And Paul, there's different rituals around menstruation. For instance, when a girl starts her period, she's not allowed to touch certain things or go into certain areas of the home, like the kitchen. And even in rural mountainous regions, um, you may have heard that oftentimes they will send these girls to mud huts called chapati huts. And many girls have died from exposure or snake bites or smoke inhalation going there. Now it's illegal, but it's still found in some of those mountainous regions. So there's a lot to battle there. So we weren't sure how it would be received. And to our surprise, they were received extremely well. We had had some cups there before we took the trip. So there were some mentors who had tried the cup before and watching them teach these groups of women and girls that they would speak to and we'd attend these classes. It was incredible. We, it was all done through translators, so we didn't know what they were saying, but you just saw the excitement in their face. They'd be talking with their hands and just explaining what the cup had done for them in their fields, you know, the fact that they were able to go for 12 hours without having to change their cup, and, you know, the fact that they didn't have to spend their money on different products anymore. Also, the Taro people um, don't like to wear underwear, and so they're often soiling the saris and soiling their clothes um, because they didn't have anything to hold in place, so the cup is really an ideal solution. So we teach these classes. And when I saw that there was a little bit of barrier when they're saying, wow, what is that contraption she's holding up? I would send my eight-year-old daughter to go teach them how to fold the cup. So she'd go and I'd say, hey, Catherine, can you teach them how to use this cup? And so she'd go up there and she'd do the different folds and she'd tell them. And you can imagine those barriers just fell right down when they saw this young girl teaching them. <laughs> and they realized, okay, maybe this isn't so scary. And since then, we've just seen great success, like we've said, because we have in-country staff there that's teaching. We actually hired um, our first employee in Nepal last year full-time as you can imagine, a full-time salary in Nepal is only $1,200 a year. That was a no-brainer for us to be able to do that, and we provided her a good salary. And she goes around the community and teaches about reproductive health and sexual health and about period cups. Congratulations to her. That must be obviously life-changing. I can't imagine what she must feel like on a daily basis. That's fantastic. So this movement, Sheree, there's this movement where women are given more information about their bodies for them to take ownership over their health, for our health, and for us to be able to make the best decisions we can for ourselves. And I had this aha moment that actually didn't come until I read what you wrote in your 2019 impact report. So this is actually fairly recently. And you wrote, empowerment starts with educating people to know their bodies and flow, and that menstruation is not a sign of illness, but of health and vitality. So this aha moment with what you wrote, coupled with the fact that I could see how full my cup was, and you can't see that when you're using tampons and pads. Like you know that it's there, but you just change it and move on, right? But with the cup, you can actually see the amount in the cup. And so 
given that knowledge, I was able to make the choice to limit my schedules on the third and fourth day of my period, knowing that it would be heavy, limit the amount of, you know, unnecessary stress and just to take it easy on those days. We just talked a lot about SALT's community, SALT's social impact and the SALT period cup itself literally gives young girls and women the ability to go to school, like you mentioned, to go to work, to live their life without this guilt or feeling ashamed about something that is a natural process of their bodies that they go through every month. And in addition to that, SALT is bringing women together in a way that normalizes the conversations about menstruation and created this community with inclusivity, solidarity, and women and their allies supporting women. What does it feel like for you to be at the forefront of this movement? Because like you mentioned, changing the stigma, making it normal and okay and actually exciting to talk to someone else about your period is challenging, right? Do you ever feel like, wow, this is, this is a lot to take on. This is going to be challenging. Can I do this? That's a great question. I do feel like I have the benefit of having a movement that has been starting and moving quite quickly for years now. And that's the period movement around openness and honestness and awareness around menstruation. So I don't feel like I'm leading alone, but I feel privileged to be a part of that movement. And I will say that for those who want to help further this movement, you know, let's talk about having these open conversations because I go and I speak about this all the time, right? I speak to large groups. I'll talk to bankers. I'll talk to attorneys. And there's always this initial awkwardness because as a society, we've been taught to keep the conversations around periods hush hush. So it's up to us as menstruators to set the tone of conversation around periods. Our comfort level on how we feel about talking about our periods really gives permission to our male colleagues and people of all genders to also feel comfortable. So every time I pitch to bankers and attorneys and retail buyers or just those passing by in a vet booth, the conversations quickly turn from uncomfortable to meaningful and engaging when I talk about periods on a human level and share our mission about keeping girls in school with safe and long-term period care. It's amazing where you'll see people kind of leaning back in their chairs and feeling a little awkward. And then as soon as you start talking about the impact that can make, they start leaning forward and you see them engage. And by simply talking about periods in a tone that carries no shock or shame, you can create a shift in the consumer mindset and with your friends and family that spurs this period progress. So it's all about not being afraid to talk about this basic human condition. 50% of the population menstruates and has a period. And let's talk about that openly. Absolutely. In that spirit, can we talk about our individual period experiences (laughs) together? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Okay. um, I'll, I'll go first. So on day zero, so the day before I get my period, I can barely keep my eyes open. And it astounds me that I've been in my period for 20 years now. And yet every month that creeps up and I have no idea why I'm so tired. And (laughs) days one through three, I have like really serious bloating going on and I don't want to see anyone. I'm tired. And then days three and four, like I mentioned earlier, is the heavy bleeding days. Those days where I, I just can't schedule too many work-related things just with caring for the boys and being able to balance work with that is is pretty hard on days three and four. But then on days five through eight, because I still have spotting on the eighth day, my skin is fantastic. I actually have like 
the most energy that I have throughout the entire month, really. And I wish that whatever was going on with my hormones at this time, I could keep that for the rest of the month so I can be super productive. But yeah, it's like it goes from like really terrible to like really awesome. And so that's my experience with my period. What about you? So you've touched on one of the things that I love about people who start learning to use a period cup, and that's that they become more aware of their bodies and their flow, how much flow they actually have, whether it's high or medium or low flow, and what their symptoms are like. And it's just this beautiful thing that happens because they decided to use a period cup. I've just seen it over and over again, how people become more aware of what they're putting into their bodies, whether it's healthy or not, and they're more aware of their cycles. So one thing that people often touch on, and you touch on this, is those PMS symptoms that, you know, we always talk about the bloating, the fatigue, and so forth. A lot of those happen right before the period, during that luteal phase, right? So a lot of the times when you have that moodiness or that anxiety, and you're feeling a little bit apathetic to the world, that's very common. And it's good to know that that's part of that pre-period luteal phase, so that you know that there's not something wrong with you. That's just hormonal. And you say, oh, my period's coming soon. And then like you said, right, those first days of the period, there's everyone has some common symptoms that are patterned each month. And there's so much you can learn from there. And you can learn about your health and you can learn about your own stress levels and so forth based on those symptoms. There's some great apps out there. I can suggest some if people want. One is Flow. Another one is Glow. Great apps that help you log your moods and symptoms. But, you know, in my first day of my period, I do have that intense fatigue and I have it the day before also. And I have my heaviest flow my first day and my second day. And then it lightens up after that. I use our salt soft regular size. So the larger size for those first two days of flow. And then I go into our smaller cup for the rest of the flow days. And those days I just completely forget I'm on my period. And that's one of the beautiful things about the cup. The first two days, it's a little harder to forget because you're cramping more and you feel that fatigue, but it just makes periods so much better. Yeah. I think once you get used to your cup, the reason why it's fantastic is you you can't feel it, like it doesn't affect you during whatever it is that you're doing. So yeah, you, know, you often forget that it's even in. It's, it's yeah, in. yeah, exactly. I do remember there is this time where I was like running around with the kids and like dancing. And before, you know, without without the cup, things move around and everything. But the cup stays put. There's no leaking. Thank you for sharing your period experience. You tapped awesome. into our tagline, by the way. Our tagline: Live your element is all about removing those barriers to menstruation and allowing people to live authentically who they want to be and what they do best. And so Live Your Element is all about just allowing you to live your best self. So when you're telling me about dancing around, that is our greatest hope for the cup is for people to be able to live as they want to. Yeah, absolutely. As a female founder, Sheree, you're building your business through the lens of a woman and also through the lens of a mother, a mother of five. So externally, SALT is empowering women and young girls around the world. Internally, in creating SALT, and I'm going to go back again to your thoughtfulness and your team's thoughtfulness in creating SALT, did you think about what the SALT workplace would look like for women and for parents internally? Yes, we have always wanted to walk the walk of what we're doing externally, also internally in our workplace. So as a mother of five daughters, I learned early on how difficult it was to be able to work full time and work in office while also taking care of my children. And so it forced us to create solutions that were going to work for women in the workplace and especially mothers, and I'm going to add fathers in the workplace for all parents, really, and we should have more co-parenting going on. So one of the solutions that we developed early on 
is we developed an in-office preschool that we provided for free to all of our employees. And we still do to this day. In fact, it takes a pretty big chunk of our office space. And some people ask us, is that worth it? I'm sure that that's a big investment. And we say, absolutely. These are the solutions that have to happen in order to really walk the walk of women's empowerment. We have such power as females in the workplace and in entrepreneurship to empower other women through our examples of leadership. We're the ones who need to take charge and lead in making those changes for women and the coworkers and teams we lead. Because the challenges that we face in a traditionally patriarchal business are so real. And we need to be the ones that are breaking those barriers, exploring those creative solutions, and helping solve the unique challenges of women, and particularly the young mothers in the workplace. Because there are so many stats out there that show just how much of a motherhood penalty uh, women receive in terms of income because of children. Right now, I just read a stat that it was $16,000 a year in lost wages as soon as a woman becomes a mother, and that's between 6 and 15% per child. And it's sad to see that when fathers become fathers, their income actually goes up, and when women become mothers, their income goes down. So that motherhood penalty really exists, and we want to change that at SALT. So besides offering an in-office preschool, which is huge, and we do have fathers who take advantage of that also, we also have very flexible work hours around family schedules. We don't say, oh no, that's your family problem. You need to take care of that. We're, we're so used to putting the burdens on the females of the family and the, the mothers of the family, and it doesn't need to be that way. As employers, we can acknowledge what those family situations are and not just sweep them aside, but actually look them head on and say, what can we do to make this easier for our employees? So we allow those flexible hours. And then we also don't give a penalty to our part-timers. And what we're really doing when we are penalizing through our income level, people who can only give part-time hours is we're penalizing mothers in the workplace because full-time hours are very difficult for mothers to give. And oftentimes we're treating them as temporary workers when really they're sacrificing so much for their families and just want to make a contribution in the world. So we look at the full-time equivalent and you know we don't pay them extra for that time, but we pay them the equivalent of what a full-timer would receive at a part-time rate. And I think that's the way it should be. We should be compensated for our experience and for our contribution, not for our time commitment because what's really doing is holding women back for generations. Absolutely. And if you factor in the time that's spent for a parent to drop their child off at whatever, you know, daycare, preschool, school, and then them driving to work and then having also to leave at the end of the day to do the same thing now they're picking up their children, that's a lot of time. Let's say, and I understand we are not commuting now with the global pandemic, like let's say that's four hours, right? of a workday, because you're offering school on site for your team members, that means that that's four hours dedicated back to you, SALT, or whatever company someone's working for. It just creates that happier environment. And also, I'm sure being able to see your kids and having lunch with them, or you know, not even having lunch, but like a quick snack, or just being able to see their faces just makes someone proud to work at a place like SALT and be able to put those, you know, four hours that they may be on the road back into the company. It is wins all around. And really, you know, when you talk to most parents, they don't want to drop their kids off at daycare and say goodbye for eight hours in the day. We do, we do encourage our parents to go have lunch and snacks with the kids and they'll go for diaper changes and they'll go on a walk around. And if they want to come for hugs and cuddles in the middle of the day, that's perfectly fine. That's life. And we should acknowledge that we spend so much time at work. I mean, just think of the time we spend three fourths of our life working. 
why not make that as fulfilling as possible? Let's not set our families aside, but let's bring them and have them be a part of it and create these solutions for them. So we are a very family-friendly workplace and we love it that way. I wanted to touch on your point about kind of tapping into this female motherhood space of hiring women into roles where they are the best for that role. And they just happen to be mothers as well. Can you think of, and you don't have to name who they are, but can you think of someone within SALT where there's a woman and she's a mother and she's in a leadership role at SALT's? Yeah, for sure. So our marketing manager, Amanda, she's fantastic. She has a beautiful little daughter who is, I believe she's two years old (laughs) or hitting two years old. And she takes advantage of our in-office preschool and she works full time and her husband is going to school. So she's the sole income provider and she needed that solution. And oftentimes she's just had to rely on her mother-in-law or on daycare. And now she can see her daughter. She can have nap times right there in her office. She has a little pack and play there so she can put her to sleep. It's something that we encourage. And she is one of our hardest workers. And she is probably one of our biggest champions of our workplace because suddenly she's able to both contribute and be a mom and be celebrated for both. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Let's talk about family. Work-life balance is a trendy word, but realistically, it's about prioritizing where you want to spend your time, right? And who you want to spend your time with. And also realizing that things can change, but so long as you kind of have those priorities as like a framework, you know what to work off of. How do you prioritize your time with your family, your husband, your five daughters, yourself? (laughs) Salt. (laughs) So I like that you brought up work-life balance because it is such a buzz phrase these days, but I prefer the term work-life optimization because this concept of achieving absolute balance in all areas of life is really an impossible goal. You just can't do everything well. You'll spread yourself too thin because having that perceived balance is just too many demands. But I believe that you can have great success if you focus on a few key areas and optimize each day to include what's most important to you. So for me, those areas are my personal growth and my health and of course my family and then my contribution to the world. And so one of the ways that I prioritize my family is I have a very strong morning routine I make sure and devote time to each of those areas in the first few hours of my day. So I start off grounding myself and connecting my inner self with meditation and study and affirmations and exercise. So I hit on that personal growth and development and also my health. And then I I reach out to people each day just for my relationships. And then I'm fully present for my husband and my children when I see them in the morning. And I make sure to take care of their needs first before I hit my work. And then when I dive into my work, I've already felt so fulfilled from having my cup filled in that morning time that then I can start giving and I can start giving creatively. I'm a very big proponent of power hours in the morning. I use the first two hours of my day. I don't look at email. I don't do anything reactive. I just focus on what's most important to drive my business forward. And I do that religiously. And that's probably been the biggest a habit that I've had that's impacted both my business and also my personal life because those power hours exist before that for my personal life and then for my business. And then it doesn't really matter what happens the rest of the day because I already feel fulfilled. So the rest of the day, you know, can be filled with schedules or interruptions or whatever it may be. And I've already accomplished those most important things. So that's how I prioritize. Those two hours. So then what time are you waking up? 
<laughs> That's a good question. I'm not actually a very early riser. So this should be motivating for anyone who thinks, oh my gosh, I got to be up at five to do that. Seven is my normal time. So very productive window. What are some of your favorite affirmations? Oh gosh, I should pull them up. I actually have a very long list of affirmations and I have them categorized. I'm an extremely organized person. So it's categorized to my faith, my health, my family, my contribution, my community. Let's see if I can remember some of them. <laughs> I don't know if I can remember them word for word, but I know that one of them is just around um, engaging my community and making sure I have a big impact in the world. And then also knowing that intrinsically, I have a lot to offer the world and remembering that. It's also something that I start with. Those affirmations are something I start with anytime I do public speaking is I had a coach help me with my first public speaking event. I was so nervous for it. I remember I was in a front of a group of a hundred or so bankers and attorneys and members of the community. And I had never given this speech before talking about my business. And she helped me with those engaging affirmations and remind me, you have a lot to share. And I turn to those affirmations anytime I, I speak and I share now. Thank you for sharing. Yes. The morning routine is always one of my questions because I'm always curious. And I'm sure a lot of us are very curious how people go about their day. How do you start your day? What do you think about? And so I love that you get so much done in that two-hour window. Building a company alongside other inspiring women and creating this positive and social impact on the world, what lessons have you learned that you hope to pass on to your children? That's a good question. Lessons learned. I think the biggest one is really entrepreneurship. I learned so much in being an entrepreneur. I'm also, I have a coaching program that I'm a part of called Strategic Coach. I'm also part of an entrepreneur's community called EO. And we're constantly focusing on personal development and growth. And we share that with our children. So for instance, um, for those who've taken their Colby or their Strengths Finder, there's often those same assessments that are offered to your children. So we do that. And when it comes to entrepreneurship, I've seen it in my young daughter, my 13 year old, she started her own slime business, her do it yourself boxes of, of slime. She calls prime slime. And as I was leaving home today, she was putting together instructions and her marketing and her website. And my husband was busy helping her put together a spreadsheet with all of her costs of goods sold. And I think that, you know, oftentimes as mothers, especially as entrepreneurs, we may be so busy that we don't know what we're offering to our children. There's a lot of mom guilt there. It's very real. Everyone struggles with it. But what we may not realize is how much we are offering and how lucky our children are to be able to have mothers who can set those examples of entrepreneurship and a business or as you are starting a podcast and being able to share these stories with the world. We have to share that. Our kids want to be a part of it. So the biggest advice I would have is to bring your kids and have them be a part of it. When I took my daughters to Nepal, it was an incredible learning experience for them to get them out of a developed nation and see how other people live. Make them a part of it. They are so excited to also make a contribution and to be a part of what we're creating as parents. Yeah. I mean, her name, Prime Slime. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so appropriate for what she's creating, her product, her customer yeah. base. <laughs> So Shuri, you strike me more than strike me as a very generous, very giving person, both professionally and personally. Is that something that you grew up knowing inside of you? Or do you think that this is something that people cultivate over time? For instance, like your daughter's going to Nepal 
and getting this experience and remembering this in the future when they're an adult and knowing there are people out there who need a teammate. How can we help? So where does your generosity of spirit come from? So that's a great question. I really feel like it came from my mom. My mom passed away last year of cancer, but she was the biggest example in my life of just compassionate giving. And so I think I inherited that trait from her too. She's, she's Latina, she's Argentine, and uh, she just had to feed everybody who came into her doors and make sure that she took care of them. So whenever we had anything extra, she would always say, who can we go take this to? Who can we invite today? And that is what got me into foster care is I grew up that way. I remember there was a young Mexican girl who is not part of the foster care program, but had just been recommended to her from a friend who was a translator from a criminal court case. Her father was going to prison and she had no place to go. She called up my mom because she knew you know, who my mom was and her values. And she said, will you take this young girl in? She has nowhere to go. And I'm afraid she's going to be part of the welfare system and just get lost. And, you know, she only spoke Spanish and she wanted to find a good family. And my mom said, of course. And there was just nothing to it. She became our younger sister for probably three years until her father got out of prison and then, and then took her back to his home country. And that was just the way that I lived. It was constant. We had children in our house all the time. And so for me, um, doing foster care or being able to serve in the community is just something that's part of my heart and soul. You're amazing. You mentioned you have a coach for your speaking engagements, your interviews, is there any ritual that you follow or anything you do to prepare? Yes. So I think that it's important to know how you like to operate. There's people out there that are very gifted orators that do just great in front of a crowd, you know, who have no nervousness. I'm not one of those. I do have the nervousness. I'm not really great just right on the fly. And I've learned because of that, that I have to be prepared. And so I'm a writer. I can get my words down on paper. So I write things out. I write out my thoughts. And I know that when I'm prepared in that way, then I can offer my thoughts eloquently. And some of my affirmations that go along with that is prepared and powerful. Some of those two kind of uh, engaging words that my coach had given me. And she said, you know, if you just go there thinking that you're going to do well on the fly, you know, you might be surprised. Recognize that the way that you feel most powerful is by coming prepared, knowing what the questions are, and also knowing what you want to share beforehand. This is what politicians do, right? Anyway, (laughs) they talk about what they want to share. And so I think it's important to recognize our strengths and weaknesses there and find ways to, to make them work for the best for us. I'm with you. At least I need to have an idea of what I'm going into. When I first started the podcast, I would swallow a lot. And I think it was just because I didn't have a good idea of what that framework looks like going into a conversation. And then once you do it enough, you realize, okay, I can do this. And now that I understand what I need to work on and I'm working on it, I can do it. Along those lines, what qualities do you think entrepreneurs need to be successful? Yeah. Uh, One of those big qualities is optimism. You have to be an eternal optimist to believe that you can create something out of nothing and be profitable at it and then get a whole team to stand by you, stand behind your mission. So I know that one time I had a a journalist ask me how we as a company were handling this COVID situation, this pandemic. And, you know, I answered very honestly, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're used to dealing with risks. We're constantly in the face of all sorts of risks that are coming at us, whether it's competitors or, you know, risks with your supply chain. And because you're doing that, you learn and condition yourself to be optimistic about it and to see the future ahead and to see the big picture and to press forward. 
in the months before we started or before we launched Salt, and I was creating web copy for hours and writing instructions and creating what our packaging would look like. And, you know, we were still months out from even getting that website up. You just have to have something internally to motivate you to keep going forward. You have all this money invested. You can't go back from there, right? And so optimism is just a huge trait that you need to have in a startup as an entrepreneur. And I think it's a beautiful trait to have just in, in life for everyone to be able to move forward and say, you know, I can learn from every experience. I can press forward. I could do these hard things. Absolutely. What is next for SALTS? And will technology play a bigger role in your company? Great question. So our long-term vision is to be the most recognized reusable period care company in the world which is a pretty big um, BHAG is what it's called, a big, hairy, audacious goal. So we won't ever carry any single-use disposable products. We will only carry reusable products that are good for both our bodies and planet, which means that in order to grow beyond just our cups, we really need to be innovating in the category to get there. A lot of my time is spent in product development, and we have a lot that's coming in the pipeline in the next few months. So stay tuned. Hopefully, it'll be exciting. And to answer your question on technology, with product technology, yes, we are going to see a lot more innovation coming from SALT in product technology. Fantastic. I can't wait. I like to wrap up these episodes with a rapid fire. What do you think? Fun. All right. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> are you a morning person or a night person? I'm a night person. I'm such an owl. When my kids go to bed, boy, I like to get a lot done. <laughs> but yes. I also have that strong morning routine. So Right. <laughs> yeah. Productivity, I guess, and the quietness of the night, but then also yes. like self-care in, in, in the morning. Um, what show have you binge watched and loved? Oh my gosh. I'll be honest. I don't watch much TV at all. Um, I think it's a trait that I've learned as an entrepreneur that I can do so much more in that hour of time frame. But I do love Broadway musicals. I, I'm just a junkie. So I love to watch everything. And recently I've been watching a lot more Hamilton because it's free on Disney Plus. So I'm getting my Hamilton fix. I was actually wondering if they, they would ever stream any of the musicals. Like I'm a huge oh, Wicked fan. Yes. Or, I was like, when are these coming out? Three words you would use to describe your journey through motherhood. Deliberate, because I do everything very deliberately. Nothing's by chance. Fun. You know, I have kind of this silly side. I just like to be spontaneous. and. I would say heart. I have just so much passion and heart for being a mother and our family. It's, it's my life. What is the very first thing you do when you're alone? Oh gosh, I grab the first book that I can get. I have a stack <laughs> by my bedside and if I have a chance, any chance I have, I'm reading. Great because the next one is what book have you gifted the most or revisit oh, often? Great. So that book is called Essentialism by Greg McKeown. It's one of my favorite books. It's all about finding those vital few things that are most important to you and doing your best at those areas. And I feel like it's just all around applicable to so many people. So I gifted a lot. So you answered this a little bit earlier, but in the moments where you're feeling nervous or fearful, what are a few things you do or, or say to yourself to calm down those nerves? Hmm. Yes. So I did with the prepared and powerful um, affirmations. And then just realize that I think once you hit your 30s, you just realize, you know, you got what you got in me. <laughs> you know, I'm just not, I'm not scared about showing up as my authentic self because this is who I am. And yeah. um, I think once you realize that, it's, it's kind of a beautiful place to get to. I agree. How have other women empowered you or what things have they said that have empowered you or inspired you to keep going? Um, I love Melinda Gates. Um, I'm rereading her book, The Moment of Lift. 
And in that book, she says, when you lift women, you lift humanity. Oh, fantastic book. <laughs> she is one of my mentors. I relate to her so much. I'm inspired by her. Another one is a co-founder we have here locally, one of Love Every. It's a motherhood business for babies. Her name is Jessica Rolf. And she told me once, she said, you don't sweat the naysayers because they will always be out there. Just move forward in your own element. Great advice. Great quote. I showed Sheree my The Moment <laughs> of Lift book that I have sitting next to me. Okay, last question. Do you have any parting thoughts or encouraging words for moms or women out there who are trying to or may build something one day? I would say never stop dreaming. Even if you're later in life as a mom, look at your dreams and go for it. When I was in college, I used to be in my head a lot daydreaming. And I'd write down my goals and my bucket list and all the big things I hope to accomplish in life. And little did I know that it was that dreaming that would prove to be the single most vital exercise to get me to where I am today. Because when we dream and we write those down, the universe leads us to those dreams. So one of my favorite quotes from Oprah is, the biggest adventure you can take is to live the life of your dreams. Remember to dream big because that's the life that you're going to create for yourself. Cherie, thank you so much for being on Moms Who Build. I had such a great and a fun time learning from you. And I can't emphasize enough what an inspiration you are as a female founder, an entrepreneur, and a mom. Salt is a fantastic company that is actively making the environment and the world a better place, a more equal place for young girls and women everywhere. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Margie. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Links to everything we discussed are in the show notes. You can follow Cherie Hager on Instagram at Cherie.Hager. That's Cherie, C-H-E-R-I-E dot Hager. That's H-O-E-G-E-R. To learn more about salt, visit saltco.com. That's S-A-A-L-T-C-O dot com. And you can follow Salt on Instagram and Twitter at Saltco. Again, that's S-A-A-L-T-C-O. And if you have a moment, I would love and really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review on iTunes. It helps us to get more amazing guests on the show and grow the podcast. You can find more interviews with inspirational moms building inspirational things on momswhobuild.com. Until next time, keep building what brings you joy.